<laughs> Not a bad thing. Hmm? Good thing, because then we can get some. Yeah. And, uh, this can be a blesser. Which uh, resistance to that point. Inherency? Yeah. Non-inherency, in fact. Do you think it has to come from some deeper some scars because to us it makes perfect sense you told us a couple of times and we're like oh okay well and I think I think I think what it comes from is uh, a certain emotional investment in uh, in gurus who have said uh, that bhakti is inherent at, at times mm -hmm. And then imbibing that, then in many cases repeating it for decades even, mm -hmm. and then uh, that builds kind of a, a wall, so to speak, of, uh, of resistance. Mm -hmm. Also, when you combine that with the way a lot of a lot of Gurus teach us rather uh, insular, you know, put these walls up and um, and so forth. And so you're already, so you you kind of grow up suspicious about other mm -hmm. sects and yeah. sadhus and so forth. So I, I think that's really the main uh, main, main, main obstacle. And that kind of uh, teaching or stretching, if you will, of the philosophy, we find uh, it seems to have begun in Bhakti Vinod, mm -hmm. you know, it's a unique character in the history of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, has a very unique position in, in, the, in the community, in Sampradaya. And so for him to do something like that, well, there's a lot of uh, good, good reason to believe that he might have said it like this because of circumstances that he was dealing with and so on and so forth. And then as that gets passed down over a couple of generations, it may become hardened. Right. You know, and it's in, in the understanding that was maybe more, more soft on his part when he would make statements to that effect. <clears throat> you know, with you know, with the hardening of the idea comes the hardening of opposition. You know, mm -hmm. we're right, they're wrong, kind of a thing. You know, mm -hmm. so it's it's a couple of uh, I'd say one. Two, three or four generations in now hope to change that but uh, we make some progress but uh, it's, it's, it's difficult and it's a problem looks like when we meet other groups they already kind of know there's, there's that uh, 
There's some different philosophical things that they're concerned about. And from their perspective, we shouldn't make any advancement or there should be problems. But then when they see us, just by our behavior, they realize, hey, these guys, these guys are really doing it. And it really confronts us. I mean, I'm sure every one of us has had the same experience. Yeah. We just go and be ourselves and yeah. blow us their mind. Because we're yeah. not, not, supposed to, not supposed to be. <laughs> yeah, we're completely different than when they saw us last time, five years previous. Mm -hmm. My personal preaching Guru Maharaj, what I found also in some cases is that for people it's really difficult to accept the idea of there is something lacking in them and they have to obtain something from outside and that their nature is incomplete, if you will. No? Mm -hmm. So if you say to them something like Bhakti is not in you but it's someone else, so you have to get it, it's for them that sort of existential crisis that I've been made. Mm -hmm. not, I mean, maybe not for the Buddhists, but I think even for the Buddhists in some 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 conscious emotional reaction like mm -hmm. denial of the fact that something is missing in me and I depend on something else that of course that implies you don't understand the idea of what you are as a task, no? Yeah, there's a couple of thoughts that come to mind when you mention that. One is of course that uh, the, the dominant form of Vedanta before before Prabhupada really in the Western world <coughs> was uh, Advaita Vedanta. Hmm? And Advaita Vedanta, obviously, the idea is that everything is there. Mm -hmm. You are Brahman. You are everything. <laughs> in some of the ways that with the Neo-Advaitans uh, in contemporary spirituality in the West, you know, deal with that is, you know, they, they make these simplistic statements like you're already enlightened. Right. You know? Right. Just stop being not enlightened. You know, stop thinking you're not. You know, they kind of think their way into it, you know, and delude themselves. And others, but that is a tenant of Vedanta. Everything is there. Hmm? Yeah. You have nothing to learn. It's basically like you're trying to become happy. You don't know that you are a unit of happiness. Mm. True. You're trying to be safe, uh, secure, existentially speaking, but what you don't know is you're eternal. Hmm? You're trying to know. Hmm? But, but what you're really doing is is, is, is it's becoming more ignorant. We actually are a unit of knowing. You are a sat. You are chit. You are ananda. Stop trying to become and be. So that, whoa, you know, that, that, it's, it's uh, and there's a lot of truth to that. Hmm? There's a lot of truth to that. They, they extend it a little further than, than, than we would to say mm -hmm. that, therefore, the, the Atma is, is, is Brahman. And that also, when you think about it, it works a little bit with the Western individual individuality. Hmm? Be all that you could be. You're complete in yourself. Although it's an opposite idea, trying to become, it's still you're full. You're, you know. So those are two like different sides. And Bhakti Thakur was trying to put Gaudiya Vaishnavism on the world stage, stage of world religions, from from obscurity. Hmm? And Dvaita Vedanta was on stage. I mean, that it was synonymous with Hinduism all over the world. So to talk about it like it's already in you. Instead, you don't have to go to somebody and get Dinanda Vamsa and, you know, drink his urine to become Krishna conscious because he's from Nityananda Vamsa. You know, they would say things, stupid things like that. You can imagine 
wouldn't go over too well with the British. So about the windows, it's not like that, you know, this Jan Hari Krishna. It's inside, it will come out, you know. It's, uh, but, um, of course, we have a different, further idea with regard to the Advaita Vedanta idea. Yes, you're complete. You are a unit of Satchit Ananda, atomic. Hmm? But there's a, there's a becoming also, a transcendental becoming. Stop trying to become, that's one thing, eternal knowledge and bliss. You are a unit of that, but as a unit of that, then in connection with bhakti, which is otherworldly, you can have a becoming on the bhakti side. And therefore we have even Krishna becoming. And fame is full and always expanding at the same time. And that's a very uh, attractive, in my opinion, but revolutionary idea. It's kind of causing a revolution in Brahman. Wake up. <laughs> There's more that could... Uh, could be experienced. You could be more. So yeah, there's some uh, maybe some built-in resistance to that from the point of view of Western individuality, right? Yeah, as well as Advaita Vedanta in East, those two. But you know, was dealing with those two main currents from each side of the world, maybe. And also, you know, people suffer from having poor uh, providers in terms of governments, kings, people exploiting others, Mm. and so forth. So, you move away from that, there's, you know, there's this emphasis on you're complete, you're, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, that's a lot of truth to that. When you talk about grace and service, it, you know, things start to sound like you're a dependent, you're a beggar. A gift, yeah. yeah. Somebody else is the provider, there's a hierarchy now. I'm a lesser person, whatever, you know. Mm. You know, based on your material experience, then you can translate those ideas incorrectly and find uh, yourself opposed to them without thinking it out natural resistance. But in a sense, like we were talking about last night a little bit, we're saying God, the Godhead, without Sarup Shakti, is incomplete. (laughs) Speak of you. <laughs> so, you know, if you don't have the Sarup Shakti, Bhakti, then Brahman is in undifferentiated, indeterminate, no qualities, no form, just consciousness still pulsating, resting, Shanti, Shanti, Shanti. But if you add the Sarup Shakti, and proportionately, to the extent that you add it, that uh, Brahman comes to life. He becomes the god, Narayan. He becomes the 
flute player, Krishna, and even subordinate, really, to the Sarup Shakti, and, you know, a child in the hand of Yasoda, wrestled to the ground by his friends, and, and uh, concerned about whether or not Radha loves him. So, not only ourselves, but he as well. We say, Guru Maharaj, that we have been Satchitananda, as you say, we are, there's some fullness, relative fullness in ourselves as well, but there is a potential waiting for us in the same way Brahman will be like the absolute without yeah. playing out its potential, if you will. That's why Bhaktivinoda says, that's why you got to read him carefully, because you, know, you, can, you can find <coughs> statements to the, uh, the lean, you know, much more in the direction of the of the teaching, the Siddhanta, that bhakti is not inherent, for example, where he says that the jiva freed from maya has the potential within itself only for brahmananda, mm. brahmagyan, knowledge of brahman, the bliss of brahman, nothing more than that. He needs the ingress of surup shakti. He says it, mm. right? To taste praying and so forth just obviously from that he's saying there is an instance he's saying praying is an inherent mm-hmm. praying is an inherent Sarupa is an inherent mm-hmm. and he's not saying well it's there as a seed he's saying in its constitution it can up to Brahmananda. I mean, I, I think that's a little bit of a stretch too, but I mean, to say up to Atmananda, mm. Atmagyan, Atmananda. Because if not, he will be playing, we can go to eternity without bhakti for yeah. ourselves. Huh? Exactly, right. To Brahman without bhakti, yeah. But yes, you say if you appreciate that stretching, you really appreciate his yeah. genius for yeah. presenting it. Yeah. <laughs> way in which he was uh, experiencing not only the condition in the, the conditions I want to say in the Gaudiya Sampradaya especially in, in, in West Bengal uh, the way they were teaching and so forth but, but they were the authorities he had to wrestle authority from them and 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 put himself forward as an, an authority. You have to realize that there was a challenge. You know, he was up against to deal with the modern world, which had now come right to his door, you know, the doorstep of Gaudi Vaishnavism in Bengal, where the British had their capital. The Goswamis ignored the Western influence. They were also uh, Around at the time of the of the Copernican revolution and so forth in Europe, they didn't deal with those um, that that perspective. They were just too busy establishing bhakti. But bhakti, you know, Taka had to deal with those kinds of things. I mean, again, it had, now it had, it had come it west had come east right there. It's a huge challenge. 
on that side, and then the state of affairs, who's the authority to go to the Russians, what are they teaching, and uh, he, had to, he had to take some liberties, and you know, you can, you can, I don't think you can question that he took liberties, that would be foolish, you can question whether the liberties that he took to preach in certain ways was the right thing to do, but that is what we call it. Hindsight is 2020, right? So it worked to an extent, and it's only going to work to an extent. So, as I say, preaching strategies have their shelf life, and you know, they need to be replaced. So, we're here to do that. Right? Take that off the shelf and mm. <laughs> package it another way. Maybe, maybe in the United States it's moving in a socialist direction rather than a capitalist direction, which would mean a shift in, 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 in thinking from individuality to more collective, to a little more Eastern group. Capitalism is the cost of friends. <laughs> you have to be in competition with everybody. Socialism at the cost of individuality. You have to do it the group does. Beta babe. Papa spoke about this Bhagavad communism, no? With the Sarvasyamidam Sarvam explanation. Bhagavad communism, yeah. <laughs> That's social, social, what is that guy called? Social democracy. <laughs> Democratic socialism, <laughs> individuality and collectiveness together. I'm not advocating that. <laughs> here, but. Depends what you mean by individuality. But metaphysically speaking, our individuality is important because Krishna is Akila Rasamrita Murti, which means he's the very form of Rasa. So that means, here's another term, he's Rasa Raj. So he's the king, the Raj of Rasa, of tasting Rasa. So he's as the center, the enjoyer. He is eternally tasting varieties of aesthetic experience or, or love, right? Hmm? And so the quote-unquote individuality of the mukta, of the devotee who's, who's liberated, hmm, is such that that devotee's individuality, if you want to call it that, serves as the vehicle through which his own individuality is further expressed in a newer way. And another newer way, and another newer way, and another newer way. So I've just turned the, the 
the bay, the difference, into into abed, non-difference. Hmm? So depends how you want to talk about it, individuality. Now, that's like I said, a metaphysical kind of an answer. It's important from God's point of view. So it must be important. Uh, so to be another, another, the one become many. Hmm? We, we say, typically this refers to Mahavishnu becoming many. But from a very, very like esoteric Gaudi perspective, we say the one become many. many. Radha Krishna Pranay Vikriti Lanini Shakyarasmat Ekat Manobhapivipuradeham Bidogatoto. The Eka becomes Vo. One becomes two. Hmm? Krishna becomes Radha and Krishna. One became many. Of course, the two again become one. It's yeah. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Right? But the one became many. So that means that Krishna is one. He's many as Radha. Radha means devotees. And there's a little Radha in everyone. So the many for the sake of what? For just enjoying. He becomes, it's one of the things he does. Not incomplete in himself, but so... So, uh, so the individual. So, in that sense, yes. Yeah, so, are we unable to completely connect there if we are not being our individual selves? Well, then, you know, like I said, I answered the question from a metaphysical point of view, but I doubt it's what exactly what you are asking about when, well, you, when, you act, when you use the word individual. Both. Okay. So, yeah. now you know we're an individual within the influence of the Maya Shakti. Hmm? in conjunction with our will and our desires. And so we have our likes and our dislikes, and we have an identity that forms from that. And so um, how important is that? Um, that's the kind of thing we're trying to kind of deconstruct, so to speak. And, uh, and, and that in the context of constructing, if you will, a spiritual individuality, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, I think that that said, that, that psychologically speaking, it's important to understand one's own human illusory individuality and his or her boundaries and limitations and and so on and so forth, all of which I would I would call that balancing sattvic exercise. Hmm? That one would be in a better position to then take the thing apart, hmm? so to speak. Whereas if it's not well balanced in the name of taking it apart, uh, you may not be as a successful getting and, the pieces back together. <laughs> well, you just not might not be the successful, and just like I've said before, if you don't have sufficient vertical, horizontal growth or development, and you start to go vertical, well, the vertical could could come crashing down, right? <coughs> so individuality, in that sense, psychologically speaking, it's important to understand to be psychologically healthy and so forth. Otherwise you take statements from the scripture out of context and you run off and become a sannyasi at, you know, 22 years old and, you know, you think, what did I do that for? You know, it's not working for me. 
supposed to surrender. I, I did it, but it didn't work. You know, yeah. Yeah, you know it, it, it kind of digested a little bit. There's an advantage, you know, to uh, ethnic Hindus who can hear these yeah. things and get them live and they never think of becoming a sannyasi. You know, <laughs> never even dawn. Yeah, that sounds great, you know. Nice philosophy, you know. Back home. And, you know, whereas the Westerner will think, wow, I should do that, you know. I should do it now, you know. Right? So there's advantages to both. Because the Indian, the Hindu, that's the Hindu in this case on the this, on this, on this slow boat, you know. And meanwhile, the, the Westerner is young, he does it, and doesn't, he or she doesn't work entirely. But Nard says, you know, well, anyway, you're further off, further down the road, so get up. When you do get up, you know, you'll be there, so there's no loss. There's no loss spiritually, but it can be pretty disconcerting, you know, materially, put you out of balance, and it could turn you to be at odds against the very thing that you, you know, that you embraced at some point. So, um, uh, so there, there's some advantage, potentially, to, you know, running with it right away, and, and then there's some advantage to going a little slower, and some disadvantage to that, so. And that's, you know, you take the Varnashram society as a social, uh, social religious model, then, you know, the defining of the individual is pretty, it's pretty clear. I mean, you know, within, within the divisions of which, you know, the four, of which there are many subdivisions and so on and so forth, Almost to make the thing work, we say like there's four different types of people. There's four and a half, you know, four and three quarters, there's four and a quarter, there's four and an eighth, there's you know, there's ten there's subdivisions, so many types of Brahmins, you know, so many types of Vaishas, so many types and so forth and so on. So they kind of extended the idea, all right, you know, fine, but still um, you know, much of one's identity is 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 pretty well uh, fixed. And also what what the prospect in life is, is is pretty fixed. That's not the way it is now. And there are advantages and disadvantages on either side. But the more you're kind of like the material situation is, this is what I am. If, along with that, you know very well I have this prospect, then it doesn't really matter so much what you are, where, if there's a hierarchy or, or whatnot, you know, because everyone has equal opportunity to pursue the highest ideal from within situation that uh, in it that's, that's comfortable for them materially and so forth. But, you know, the whole world used to be like that to some extent, too. So it was typical in the Western world, not only in India, that it, that it could, you know, young boys born, this is what he's going to do, you know, for the most part. It might be some exception. He's born on the farm, can be a farmer, mm-hmm. you know. And, uh, and so that's, you know, all worked out. When you take the, the transcendental ideal out as a clear and, and uh, unquestioned um, goal, then, you know, you have to open it up down here. Whatever you want, you know, who knows? I mean, let's create a new thing that doesn't exist that you could be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you could, uh, and, and, and how much you could adjust yourself Materially speaking, it becomes unlimited. Change your, your gender, even, and you know, uh, in so many ways that you can tweak the situation, and that obviously becomes problematic for for a transcendental pursuit because that goes on for how long? You know, you're inventing yourself at fifty, right? Mm-hmm. Materially speaking. So,
I think much of the disadvantage of unhinging humanity from the pursuit, however gradually, of the transcendental goal, the, the, the disadvantage of that has been obscured to some extent, if not a large extent, by a misunderstanding of what it, what, what it means to to uh, live in this world in such a way as to attain that ideal. So misrepresentation of religion, religious fanaticism, and so on and so forth. In the name of Jesus, you know, you're going to beat people up or go to war with them, you know, over what, you know, the money or something, or whatever, or whatever, or just national boundaries. But I think it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's to unhinge humanity from the transcendental goal and philosophy from, 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 from insights that come from revelation and disciplines for going inward and so forth. Yeah, that's a, that's a catastrophe and that's a modern world. Big area, huh? Yeah. So, is there a way to distinguish, you know, finding your individual propensity in a thoughtless manner? Is there a way to differentiate it when it starts to maybe that goal? Yeah, because there can be a time period or a need to find your likes and dislikes and propensities and concentrated in those. Mm -hmm. But sometimes maybe that can like I think I understand that when it is a topic. Well, I think when the Rogers and the Thomas, there's got to be some of that in everybody, obviously. In it. But when it becomes more predominant, then the transcendental ideal is, is obscured. And, and, and so acquisition becomes more important or uh, just uh, uh, tuning out, you know, um, with whatever it may be, through entertainment, through intoxication, and, and so forth. Um, so, you need, like, sattvic to predominate. Right. Hmm? As long as that's one of the characteristics of the sattvic uh, influence, is that there's a, there's a gnawing kind of sense of uh, discontent right. with whatever you can do <laughs> in this world sensing that it, that it won't be complete. But you need some, and some will have more Rogers and more, more Thomas to be more productive, materially speaking, but still within that, that sattvic kind of a framework. Hmm? 
so it keeps the transcendental objective in mind, and then, 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 you're, then you're good and bad, and right and wrong, and uh, right, correct thoughts and incorrect thoughts, like logic and so forth, becomes rooted ontologically in the, in the world as it has a, has a, a meaning and a purpose. You take that transcendental ideal out, and then <laughs> that's very dangerous. And also, thought that his tendency is is to stay true to your duties as well, instead Mm -hmm. of maybe Mm -hmm. the idea of pursuing individuality. Always being dissatisfied or trying to find a new. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. A new wife, a new husband. Right, yeah. Right. I really like that idea of the impermanence, you know. Bhutan and people are happy yeah. mm-hmm. with the preoccupation with that. That sense kind of pervades every everything they get into, every venture, every hmm, the tempers it, is, it yeah. you know, in a healthy way. Yeah, sometimes it's shocking to me how it's so opposite here in America. Yeah. You're telling me about this morning. You see so many people who are obviously people who are traveling through the world in the mode of goodness, but they're so attached to ending impermanence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, but if we could only make this this impermanence stop, if only the plants didn't die or this didn't, you can save this and save that, and you're like can't be done. That would be already some form of rajas, right? Because of the attachment (laughs) to that sense. So is that just like a symptom of the the out of balance? Mm -hmm. They're just not even thinking of the reality. I see it in the healthcare system. It's shocking. There are people whose bodies are completely falling apart and they have a whole code written on their charts, meaning if they actually do finally die, they want you to resuscitate them and do anything you can to bring them back. Uh-huh. And I'm like, yeah. it's like, yeah, even when everything, like, let's not, even when it's in your face, the incarnate humans, they want to so much deny it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. The fact of it that that's a huge living in denial, huh? The whole yeah. Yeah, and it's like you're saying. Expressive. I think it can be a sigh of relief just to like, oh, actually, yeah, it's all impermanent. It's just, we're here now and yeah, enjoy something we can and nothing really lasts. So much harder than feeling the responsibility of somehow trying to make everything last yeah. all the time. Just 
to identify the impermanence is is is, is to uh, identify your own permanence as well, mm. to an extent, to separate yourself from it. Mm. Like, let's say you're riding in an airplane. You're going 700 miles an hour. It doesn't look like it. Doesn't feel like it. Right. Because hmm? you're in it. But if you stand on the ground, you're separate from it. Mm. Then you can't see. So to see that to who's observing the impermanence is constantly watching everything that's coming and going. Now something in them is changing too, psychologically and physiologically, but there's a witness to all that that's, that, that's witnessing it, that that's, that's, that's the I am, right? It keeps thinking I am this or I am that. So the more you can observe it and identify that this is the nature of things, then in observing and identifying the impermanence in terms of the nature of the world, the implication is you're also identifying yourself as being being permanent, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. different from it. You're different from the change. So, optimistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. First turn to pessimistic perspective into a very optimistic yeah. one. Mm-hmm. And a whole new adventure, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Possibility. Individuality as a mukta, you've got your psychological, material individuality, then you've got your sadhaka identity and its individuality. And, and take the teachings and then skillfully, artfully apply them. Like I often give that example. You have to tolerate, but you have to create a situation that's favorable for the practice. Yeah. Tolerate in the context of that also. Otherwise, Tolerate your way out of Christian consciousness. <laughs> so, yes. Individually thoughtful. Mm-hmm. Would it probably say something about individually, independently thoughtful yeah. individuals? <laughs> like that. Which is, you know, an advocacy of anarchy. <laughs> so, no need for management, no need for a mission. And as you say yesterday, he also wanted a bigger mission and yeah. how to launch it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you need some paper, do you know? I'm a bit of an anarchist. <laughs> I answer questions with questions sometimes. Some people want to spell cat answer. It works like this. We like that. Yeah. Like work. That may work for a little while, but. I like that point last night that, that kind of the bigger the 
the mission, it becomes less shallower, but... Like wide and deep? You lose, yeah, you lose some depth. I mean, it's just a common ex experience, it's not a criticism, of, but... Yeah. You can go deep with just a couple of friends, maybe, and... You see that Prophet obviously had that sensibility when he would say things like, now it's time. He said in 1975, I think we have enough to go these now, we should boil the milk. Something that was never, you know, taken out. And then Pujapachitamar said the same thing, 1977, you know, where after Prophet left, should boil, you know, he didn't use the same adage, but uh, he meant the same thing. But that's easier said than done. And then you get this distortion of the uh, time and circumstance emphasis of a Bhakti Siddhanta for preaching over bhajan, you know? Yeah. Now it gets out of balance in that way, busy, 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 mm -hmm. saving the world. And like we were saying the other day, it's like within Buddhism, they have the Bodhisattva vow. Mm -hmm. So every, you know, so many contemporary Buddhist uh, practitioners and North America take the bodhisattva vow, which is to stay in the world until every every sentient being oh. is, is liberated, right? But it's a vow for the Buddha. It's not for a vow for someone who hasn't become a Buddha. For a sadhaka. <laughs> yeah. It's for a siddha. It's for a siddha, not for a sadhaka. <laughs> Save yourself first. <laughs> so in the name of, you know, I don't want to be selfish. Mm -hmm. Just sit in the monastery. I've got to get out there and be socially active, and it's 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 really about the unwillingness to go within, the inability to sit down. I mean, what the Buddha did—he just sat down. Sounds easy. Easier said than done. Just sit down. Try that. I tried. What should I do, Mom? Sit down. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do that. That's very difficult. So yeah, the Buddha in some traditions, maybe maybe the Tibetan tradition—I don't know takes a vow, but that's a Buddha's vow. Hmm? Let's try this way. I, don't think, I think the trail may get smaller. Well, we'll turn around. <laughs> we'll just try the paved road for a little while. Sounds good. It's a little broader, too. And sunny. <laughs> Can accommodate more people. <laughs> As long as we don't lose depth. <laughs> and the bodhisattva, you know, then compassion, love starts to be more more important, right, than mm -hmm. than nirvana. Because how long is he going to be here if he's taking a vow to liberate all the sentient beings? The Buddhists also accept the sankhya. You know, traditionally, perspective on the nature of the of matter and so on and so forth, and there's infinite purushas or jivas in the world. So the sankhya of asankhya. <laughs> yeah. So basically, the bodhisattva opts for opts for compassion rather than nirvana. Mm -hmm. It's a statement. Something's more attractive than than nirvana. And we have a we have a we have a sutta a uh, sutta Dev Goswami in the in Buddhism. Who said what? Itam Buddha Gunohari. Right? That there's something about 
it's more than sitting here. The, the qualities of Krishna are such, you know. So rather than sit in nirvana, of course, doesn't know how to go above it. So stay below it and and love. Hmm? In this case, compassionately. I mean, Hinduism is Buddhism. I mean, uh, Buddhism is Hindu. <laughs> the, Hindu the Buddha, as I said last night, was a Hindu because, as Prabhupada said, and it's true, the word Hindu came from invaders and those on the other side, I think it was the Sindhu River, River. Hindus. So Buddha was on that side. He was, a, he, was a, he was a Hindu. What did he do? He rejected the Vedas. But what did he reject in the Vedas? He rejected the karmakanda section of the Vedas, dealing with the modes of nature and uh, sacrificial magical uh, potions in order for to acquire uh, and so on and so forth. And uh, it's almost as if, okay, the Vedas say that, reject it. Meanwhile, he takes on an Upanishadic perspective, but appears in that context to reject the, the Atman as well, mm -hmm. because here you are in the karma kind of section, you're desiring to acquire, hmm, to be more, and in the Upanishadic section, then you're desiring the Atma, you're desiring Mukti, hmm, you, and, and, and it's something you can't see. So he kind of implicitly, or it could be construed and has been for the most part, that he rejected the Upanishadic section also, where in fact, in reality, he's pretty much silent on whether there's an Atma or not, whether there's the God. It's not the issue. You're suffering. That's the issue. That we know. Let's deal with what we know, okay? We don't have to like, have some faith in some book or something like that, some story. We know we're suffering. We know this is the cause. Thirsting for things is the cause of suffering. Stop thirsting. Let's evolve, evolve a system for ending the, ending the suffering. Hmm? Now, you know, so, so the Buddha was enlightened, okay, mm -hmm. and you can philosophize that he denied the Atma, but then if you want to compare notes between, let's say, you know, a, a Vaishnava saint or even Shankar and Buddha, well, all the same symptoms of enlightenment are, are going to be there, mm -hmm. and one group is accepting the Atma, one is not. So, and, and the majority are, only the Buddhists are not. If they exhibit the same qualities of enlightenment, let's say, basically observable quality, Buddha does as a Shankar or as a Ramanuja does, hmm? controlling human passions, able to sit, whatever you know it may be and so forth, then it's just pretty hard to reason away the Atma when those pursuing it have attained that. And there's no room for it. There's no room for denying the Atma in the Upanishads. I mean, Shankar does it slightly. He says the Atma is Brahman. Mm. So there's no individual Atma. There's one big Atma mm. called the Paramatma. But, but 
But, but there is room within Buddhism for concluding, oh, he said there's no Atma, kind of, but over here he said it is. So maybe it was just a strategy. Just don't worry about that. Just work, focus on stopping, stopping suffering. What comes from that, you know, that's another thing. That can't be taught, but, you, but you'll see. Mm. So if you want to, and if you want to be pluralistic, then you have to, you have to, otherwise you have Buddhism. Is, Buddha's the only enlightened one, and Shankar's chasing after some Atma. Ramanuja's chasing after some God that doesn't exist. But he's exhibiting the qualities of a Buddha and more, or at least as much as the Buddha. Hmm? So it's not tenable, the argument. But the argument that Buddha only had his preaching strategy, but not as a metaphysical physician, hmm? dismissed the Atma. Hmm? Didn't bring it into the discourse or God. No need to talk about that. It's pragmatic. You're suffering. You want to stop the suffering. What's the cause of the suffering? Okay, let's stop the cause. Of that. that was his idea. Of course, very effort-based, and and uh, you know, nirvana. So, same term is used. Same term. The term he uses is found in the Bhagavad Gita. Nirvana. It doesn't. It's not used at the expense of the Atma. And Buddha was a Hindu. Seems like go there and find out. Yeah. Yeah. Seems similar to Doctor Minot's yeah. for his preaching strategy. Yeah. The preaching strategy, to be sure. Because the dramas got out of hand. Or the people were exactly. <laughs> exactly. And they and then he used the Vedas to manipulate people and so on and exploit them and so forth. So. Anything about Taoism? Taoism? Taoism. Taoism. You know anything about it? No. no. I don't either. <laughs> I was I just know. going to ask you about it. You know? A little. It's one of the, I think they like to divide the Chinese paths into three. Confucianism is there, and there's maybe Buddhism and the Taoism. There's a book, the Tao Te Ching, which strikes me as very beta bait. Uh, it's a whole lot of verses where it's talking about the Tao, which is the way. Tao with D? It, or it, what's ah, it? because I, ah, I was so speaking about Taoism. I was, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. Or yeah, I read or something. Maybe you know about no, no, Tao, you know more to speak. Uh, <laughs> I just uh, read some book before reading Bhagavad Gita 20 years ago, so we are more I, updated. I feel like than it's <laughs> a very cool book, and it, you know, because it's, it's like the Tao is not this. It's not that, mm. or it is this, and it's that. So mm. there's a lot of <laughs> every verse yeah. is like yeah. that. Yeah. And, yeah. and knowing what we know, and then reading that, it's like, yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh -huh. He started um, by saying the true Tao can't be spoken of, yeah. and then he spoke about it uh -huh. for a while. Yeah, what it's not, or yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of that idea is the one who knows, you know, or says they know, knows, and the, mm -hmm. doesn't know, and the one who says they don't know, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it doesn't posit an ought nor God. I don't think it does, no. No, no, no. 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 Nope. 
a way of thinking or something, huh? Mm -hmm. it, it, yeah, and I think it's supposed to be like a kind of a leadership thing, or a, it's a way of of being a, a leader. Um, it's been a while since I read any of it. But. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Currently, the idea of present moment awareness, it being in the now, mm -hmm. like Tolle is a famous author. Mindfulness, popular term. Right. And he'll then say mindfulness in the sense of that, not, that your mind is empty. So he's kind of... Not that your mind is empty? That, that your mind is empty, uh -huh. not full. He's mindful. He's a contemporary, you could say Buddhist, but he doesn't say that. He uses those concepts to talk about the now, the present moment, not think, not lost in thought, and then from there, being inspired to action. So what what do they mean? Mindful. So I'm mindful. I'm walking down the path. That's what I'm doing. I shouldn't be thinking about what I'll do afterwards. Yes. What I did before. Mm -hmm. What might happen yeah. if I if this happens yeah. or that. I should just think I'm walking on the path. Yeah. Chop wood carry water. Yeah, they basically we say their past and future doesn't exist, literally. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's like breathe, a lot of breathing into the body, feeling your body. Be aware of the moment today, the present moment is the only thing you have and so on. Eckhart Tolle sat on a park bench for like three years, I think, when he, he like woke up. He was suffering so much and he felt like he hated himself and then... He was about to commit suicide, I yeah, think. Yeah, and then he's had a mental kind of crack. And he's like, well, who's, who am I, and who am I hating? And disassociated with the hateful thoughts, basically. Mm-hmm. What's the name of the book, The Power of Now? Yeah. In English? Right. Yeah. Then he became Oprah's kind of guru friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard of it. Is he connected to Taoism? Or he references things, but it doesn't identify, you know. Kind of has his own. Mm -hmm. Like that's how they said it back then type thing. It has a lot of really cool stuff that I feel like I was shortchanging it before. There's more detail in there. It's not mm -hmm. all wishy-washy. It's yeah, no, it didn't sound like sure. Okay. okay. Yeah. 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 Wise statements and yeah. I read but, some when I was in high school, and they had seemed to have some similarities to transcendentalism, like yeah. Emerson yeah. and Thoreau and. There was that kind of oversoul concept and mm -hmm. in Thoreau and Emerson. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of like the Tao was like the energy. They seemed more connected to Hinduism than Buddhism or Taoism, you know? Mm -hmm. So, well, what's the popularized idea of mindfulness, then? Well, usually where most well, people start is by breathing. Well, is, um... Pardon? How do you say his name? Thich Nhat Hanh? Thich Nhat Hanh. He's, um... He's, like, the major proponent of it that I see people... So we turn around here or we keep going? Now, actually, if we keep going, we should, um... This should get us back to the parking lot okay. faster than turn around. No. When we first came in, there was that trail to the right. That said now we're continuing on Pumpkin Loop, but just further down. So. Okay, Tick, not Han. Plum Village. Mm -hmm. France. 
Yeah. yeah. What does he say? Oh, well, I just I think he's the most um, being peace. Yeah. When I was um, doing an internship, we used to teach this um, this type of therapy. They had group sessions where um, a big component of it was mindfulness, and he was like the like everyone would read a book of his, a small I can't remember. Mm-hmm. It's like the basic intro book on mindfulness. So we teach mindfulness exercises where you're just basically people close their eyes and they concentrate on their breathing and it's just it's it's like emptying out your your mind because everyone's minds are going constantly so like we'd give the example like if you see a if you become aware of a thought going through your mind just try to step back and observe it like a cloud passing through the sky um so you just it's it's stepping back and more like just awareness of hmm. controlling the mind, basically. Yeah. Hmm. Well, yeah, and instead well, of being in it, carried with the thoughts, being able to separate yourself and seeing the thoughts and just the, more taking the, the consciousness behind of the, the observer. Okay. Yeah. No, that's, we do the same thing. <laughs> I mean, it's similar to what you were saying earlier about seeing, like, there's all the things going on, but I'm separate from that. The only difference is that we admit that there's something separate from all that. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Well, and that's kind of... witness. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which makes sense. That's when they get into more, like, Brahman. As a witness, you become Brahman. It seems to be a... There's not a lot of talk about the soul in any of that. I think in, in Buddhism, in my in, in, in mindfulness perspective, if you don't have the witness, which is the self, and if you don't have God, hmm, then then your mindfulness is st- stopping the mind from wandering here and there and thinking you're separate from the impermanence what's going on around you. You are the tree. You are the ground. You are the air. You are the sun. You are the moon. It's kind of a prakriti, in our terminology, nirvana. Mm -hmm. Hmm? Merging with prakriti. It's just the exact opposite. Hmm? Hmm? You are the body. But you're not that moment that the ever-changing material phenomena has come together as mentally and physically that you call yourself because you've separated yourself now from just things are just changing then you're worried you're defending you're defending it um, struggling and so forth it would seem to me that that's <coughs> kind of a like I say percreating my merging with nature you are you are you are the world hmm? But you're nobody. You're nothing. There is no individuality. Right? Some form of a chintabida. You're everything, you're nothing. But they have to talk about it. But they have to talk about mindfulness as if there's somebody there. Yeah. Who's witnessing and step back and you're not the mind. It's it's pretty hard to... (laughs) Yeah. If you're not, then who are you? Well, and I think... 
mindfulness is just kind of the very, very base level of like a 101, just get out of your, this yeah. constant wheel. Uh -huh. Like he gives this one example of just like saying, next time you're washing the dishes, just like be in that simple mundane activity and like feeling the soap bubbles bursting on your hands and like you know the temperature of the water and just it's just a very like get out of your mm -hmm. thoughts like you know so many people are just constantly distracted by like the, for example they'd be washing the dishes but somewhere else completely and playing out all kinds of anxieties or so this is just like not even imposing any kind of identity but just be there in the experience of your senses and yeah but that kind of creates another type of identity no? be there I in the mean, experience yeah. of your senses your that creates sure. a whole identity yeah sure there are things that are being experienced and there's an experiencer mm -hmm. what is the mind in, in these perspectives you know what if there's the physical world there's the mental what is the mind yeah. I think in Buddhism, there's like this, this, this self is preserved, and sense of self is preserved in the mind that's reincarnating. But the idea is to do away with that. Yeah. So how do you do away with the mind when you when you? Because the mind is the experiencer, and you're experiencing the bubbles are like this. It's this warm. I think uh, they may say that in the, as, as Madango Paul said, in the beginning level, yeah, you get out of these waves of. Certain type of thoughts, uh -huh. you enter into that other type of thoughts, uh -huh. and eventually you even leave that leave to the, the point of dissolution of total sense of uh -huh. separate existence. Like I wouldn't even think of it as like mm. a spiritual process, really. Mm. Just like no. a, just a coming a realization, like a very basic self-realization. I'm. I'm here, like, slow down all the noise and... Mm -hmm. Just to whatever side. Yeah. Good morning. Good morning. Hmm. A lot of it's used just to overcome suffering. Tole became yeah. famous for the pain body, which was like the idea of the energy from past traumas. Mm -hmm. And if you're present, you weren't able to be present during the trauma because you're traumatized. So now, at some point, you have to become present of the mm -hmm. energy and the emotions. Mm -hmm. and Christianity is, you know, because we're suffering. Mm -hmm. And that's why, like, mindfulness is really popular in a lot of psychotherapy, um, there's a lot of Buddhist therapists, because it's not, it's not promoting a religion, it's just really about like, like non-psychiatric relief from anxiety. Yeah, neurotic. People are just so wound up in desire or something. Ooh. 
We're taking a good walk. <laughs> we're already an hour and ten minutes. Another five, ten minutes. So which would you say, Gurmarasa, will be the main reasons why we worship Buddha as, as a member of the Dasavatar pantheon, as Gaudiya Vaishnava, which would be the main like points that we worship him as part of such a... Well, he's mentioned in the Bhagavatam. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, according to your consideration of feeling the most outstanding, we're worshipping the, pre the principle of preaching strategy. <laughs> well, from the Vaishnava point of view, we worship him for... his um, empowered emphasis that was fruitful on uh, moving away from a, a superficial understanding, if not a misunderstanding, of the Vedas. Mm -hmm. There's an emphasis on karmakanda and acquisition and included things like ahimsa, like ahimsa, like violence and in the name of... Mm animal sacrifice and so forth. So that tends to be what we uh, what sticks out ahimsa, you know. A emphasis on that against himsa in the name of the Veda. Mm -hmm which we could take and apply to a larger, larger extent to indulge in him in the name of the Buddha, not only killing animals, but just misusing yeah. Yeah. as it yeah. can be happening nowadays, whatever. Well, yeah, he rejected entirely the whole uh, idea that religious life is about acquisition. Mm -hmm. I know, you know, so little about Buddha, and I think there's, there, there's very little to be known about, the, you know, accurately, about the history, but there's, there's certainly more information available than, I'm, than what I'm privy to, so hard to give a comprehensive answer. Mm. I mean, he's there in the Das Avatar, that's, that's true, he's mentioned in the Bhagavatam. That's true. And he's mentioned in the Bhagavatam, I think, with this in mind, right? Mm, yeah. That he, that he yeah, that's a man. Save people from abusing the Veda. Mm -hmm. something, something like that. So it's kind of a negative contribution. <laughs> he's got a negative theology, too. A denial, a nihilistic kind of a approach. But, I mean... The, the the Upanishads also rejected the Vedas, so to speak. Mm. decided it. Yeah. version of that will be Srotam Abhupanishad and Rui Harikatambrita, something like that. Mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> mm. 
Are you familiar with the concept of wabi-sabi? From you? <laughs> wabi-sabi. <laughs> make it work, right? Or it looks good as it is? Yeah, don't fiddle with it too much. It's art. <laughs> Something like that. Kind of perfection lies within some measure of imperfection. So Krishna would be very wabi-sabi. That's the same for Kintsugi? I don't know what that is. Uh, when you have something broken, they put uh, this yeah. gold in the different... Ah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's the same thing. Mm -hmm. That's why Krishna is only found in the Srup Shakti, because he's wabi-sabi, so he has to be in an environment that you can just kind of let it roll. Well, what I mean is that, you know, Krishna is imperfect. Krishna is... He's not like, you know, omniscient God on the throne. Right? There's problems. There's, uh, He has a pain body. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he needs someone to give massage to him. Yeah, he needs massage. <laughs> you have your say well with yours. Sneaks out. Lies to his parents. Yeah.